it caused me to have this realization that there are a lot of people in the world that are held to people's limited expectations of them. And so what they're provided in terms of opportunity um, was kind of defined by things that were out of their control. I want to remove barriers that exist between people's goals and um, you know where they are at that moment. Mm-hmm. And so anything to remove barriers is where I'm at. Welcome to the... <laughs> no, 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 I can't do that. Let's try another one. Uh, how about this? <laughs> no, no, that won't work either. Let's try this. can get on board with that. Let's roll with it. Welcome to the Begin the Begin podcast. My name is Jeff Hillemeyer, and I'm on a mission to find out what makes people tick. Not just anyone, people who are making a profound impact on the world. I want to dig into their origin story and get to the root of why and how they do what they do. I hope you are as inspired coming out of these conversations as I am. Let's get into it. On today's podcast, I had the opportunity to speak with Lisa McGill, CEO of Alaria. I wanted to talk to Lisa because she is someone that leads a very purposeful life dedicated to helping companies with their diversity and inclusion efforts. We had such a great time talking that I actually broke this podcast into two parts. Part one, which you're listening to now, focuses on her work and what inspired her toward diversity and inclusion. I hope you enjoy it. All right. I am super excited for this. Actually, I think this is my first out-of-town guest. Um, Lisa, tell everybody who you are and what you do. Hello, everyone. I am Lisa McGill. I'm co-founder and CEO of Alaria. We are an HR tech company that takes the guesswork out of diversity and inclusion. I'm so excited to dive into that. Um, but as, as part of this podcast, I like to hear about people's origin stories. Yeah, and let's do it. It's interesting, too, because I think you're the first person I've talked to on this that um, we were just realizing we maybe have never met in person. We fly in similar circles. You spent some time in Atlanta. Uh, maybe it was through plywood. Um, so this will yeah. be I'm, I'm going to learn all about you today. I, I, likewise, I'm excited for it. <laughs> Great. Um, OK, so t- tell me, um, uh, let me frame what I think I know about you. Um, I think that you are entrepreneurial. Um, you're obviously a leader, uh, diversity and inclusion and equality seem to be at the core of your passion. Is that, is that accurate? All, all correct so far. (laughs) Those are nice things to be said about them. Yeah. Lovely. You've done your, your research. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so I guess I want to start, I want to learn, um, about your upbringing with the lens of why let's call it equality has been an important part of, of your life. All right, so, we're going so to start by going deep. Yeah, let's, let's, <laughs> hope you're ready for it. <laughs> so where did you grow up? 
Yeah, kind of all over. Um, where is always a weird question for me. Um, my parents were in the military. So I, you know, if I was going to throw out a couple of places, like I was born in Alaska. I lived in Panama and Central America for a number of years in Utah. Um, but really, uh, we consider Texas home. Uh, all of my sisters still live back in Texas and my dad plans to retire back to Texas. So, you know, that's the place if I was to, con- you know, having to pinpoint home. Uh, but yeah, moved around a ton um, because of their careers and just uh, naturally adopted that uh, habit, I think. <laughs> okay. And and was it from from them, from something else that your heart started to, to look to help those that maybe aren't getting the benefits of certain aspects of society or being left out? Yeah. So I think if we were to like throw back and like look at my childhood, um, I think on paper, you know, I looked like a phenomenal kid. You know, I had straight A's. I had all the extracurriculars. I, you know, was captain of the drill team in high school. I worked a full-time job while in school. I was a very busy but very, um, you know, successful kid. Uh, But the reality is that um, when you looked at home, home was not a safe place for me and for my sisters. And um, that evolved into a story where uh, my parents went to prison when I was 18. And so I quickly saw in the world, um, as, as you could probably guess, I grew up really young and quick and uh, kind of took um, uh, responsibility for my four little sisters immediately and uh, quickly noticed that society, teachers, adults around us had shifted what they expected from us. Um, they spent time with us differently. And people who we considered close friends or, um, you know, community, you know, members that were close to us through that childhood experience up until that point, suddenly they weren't there for us anymore. Mm. And it, it caused me to have this realization that there are a lot of people in the world that are held to people's limited expectations of them. And so what they're provided in terms of opportunity um, was kind of defined by things that were out of their control. Um, Certainly we were uh, set up uh, to follow a different path immediately after that happened. And the resources, the friends, the support structures that we had looked different. Uh, And so I spent a lot of years, a lot, um, you know, for about four years, you know, 18 to 22 or so, uh, really trying to convince the world to see us differently, really trying to prove everyone wrong about us. And more importantly, trying to convince my sisters that their path didn't have to change, that their dreams were still very possible, uh, and that we didn't, you know, give to whatever's about what everyone else thought about that, right? And so um, I think that's the context that kind of like lit me up um, around this idea. And then the barriers of which I saw you know, out in the world kind of evolved as I grew older and, and had further awareness of other barriers that people were facing that were holding them back in their own story. Yeah. And, and you're the oldest of all the sisters? I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's I know like, I'm like feeling. a very stereotypical oldest sister. Like everything you can guess about me is probably true right there. <laughs> That's so great though. Yeah. Cause I'm the oldest and I have three sisters. And so I'm the oldest of a bunch of sisters. You um, get it. And I think I was the same. I, yeah. I sort of grew up. Um, I didn't have um, the hardship that you had, um, I, but I grew up with the got to got to get the straight A's, got to be captain of this, got to succeed, got to succeed. And and I found that I chased that uh, for far too long um, until I until I started to realize what was important. You were forced to see what was important super early. Um, so as you started to think about a career, what you wanted to do with your life, I mean, I know now you're the CEO of a company that focuses on diversity and inclusion, and we'll talk about that. How did how quickly did you land into that being a space that 
you wanted to give yourself into? Yeah, so I've been with Alaria and working specifically in diversity and inclusion for about two and a half years now. But my journey um, in my career was was definitely not direct here. Um, I started in finance. Um, I was um, a broker and had licenses by the time I was 19. I worked my way up in that system for a number of years. I shifted over to tech startups and did a bunch of B2B software. Um, but what I, I can say is that I've always had something on the side, you know, whereas I was giving back to a community or building networks to support other women in my space. Um, as you, you know, can probably tell finance, tech startups, um, all very male-dominated spaces. And so um, much like I, you know, talked about my uh, determination to prove everybody wrong, you know, that kind of was like uh, established really young, I went into each of those careers with the exact same mindset, like, oh, you, you think that I'm not as good as you? Let me show you something, you know, uh, and just worked my way up really quickly uh, in all of those positions. But what um, evolved is that after having, um, you know, had successful careers in finance, successful exits in um, the B2B, you know, tech startup world. I had this shift where I was like, I want to work in um, businesses that have a social impact mission that are, you know, out there and truly believe, I believe, and I I think most more companies should um, be thinking through the lens of, you know, we can have not only revenue and profit, but we can also be driven by purpose and impact in the world. And so um, I set out to really figure out what that meant to me. And, um, uh, landed myself in a, a fellowship program with Moving Worlds, which is a, an organization you uh, get assigned to a nonprofit and you go work with them for a little while um, to benefit their um, organizations. And so I specifically went and helped entrepreneurs in uh, Kigali, Rwanda, raise capital for um, their startups. And so just kind of put myself in a very different um, system for, you know, t- you know, quote unquote startups. And then, um, but also focused on social impact, came back from that, and then uh, was lucky enough to meet my current um, co-founder, Paolo Gaudiano, at the time. So, so I can't imagine f- finance and tech um, aren't, say, as female-friendly from a leadership perspective um, as I know you would want them to be. But that could not have been easy, um, breaking into those networks, rising in those companies. Uh, did you find that to be the case, or were you just... So laser focus, you were just knocking stuff down and, and moving forward with, without yeah. seeing too much of that. You know, when I look back in my career in finance, I just, I'm amazed that I just like never was phased by it. I think right. um, I just had that kind of like blind um, ambition to just make things happen. And anytime something got in my way, I just solved for it. And so um, I, I don't think I really understood or really like process the fact that um, there were extra barriers in place for me. I just said, you know, oh, there's the next barrier. Let's let's do this one. You know, like here's the next one. Let's go. Um, and I, you know, I, I, you know, I have grit. Like I was climbing those ladders fast in finance. And then when I moved over to tech startups, I think it was a, uh, it took me a little while um, to to finally um, realize, like, oh my goodness, I'm doing the exact same thing that I just finished doing over in finance. Like there's no community here. You know, people are, you know, trying to take advantage of me. They're underpaying me. They're making me negotiate, even though I know this guy's getting way more money than me. You know, all these different things were happening. And I was like, I've been here, done this. Why, why am I doing this again? Um, And so I actually, um, I think it took seeing that again, like that, that repetition of things that were challenges for me to actually realize like, oh, this is like a problem. This is like systemic. And it's, it's bigger than just like me and this one company. Is that so, so then you had success in those industries and then you went and, and got into the nonprofit space. Um, w- was there something that happened that made you say, okay, I'm, I'm sort of done with this. I need to 
make a bigger contribution or what led you to make that jump? Because now uh, your current company is a 501c3, right? Yeah. So fun fact, uh, we actually have a for-profit and a non-profit. Um, and technically my, um, co-founder also runs an academic research center. So, um, we have this like three pronged approach, you know, if we're going to throw out like corporate salesy words here. Um, but so we're moving on all fronts and essentially believe that DNI research is needs to be established as a proper field of study and that the work needs to be embedded into corporations in a different way than it has been to date. And so, um, at Alaria on the for-profit side, we're doing that in the workplace. At ARC on the nonprofit side, we continue to um, conduct research uh, that relates to diversity and inclusion, but as it uh, applies to ecosystems outside of just the workplace. So over there, we're you know looking at things like the entrepreneurship ecosystem. We're looking at like emergency management, education systems, things like this that um, have those foundational um, challenges with diversity, equity, inclusion as well that kind of trickle into the workforce. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, so so going back then. Was there something that led you to say, whether it's nonprofit or like, I want to be at a company that is like 100% focused on making the world a better place? Is that the place you're in? And if so, what made you jump to that, to those ne next phase of your career? Yeah, I think I just had that realization that I can build technology startups and you know, successful companies and make a difference at the same time. So I was looking for that, you know, combination, uh, which is what Alaria is. And then through Alaria, we just found the opportunity to also create the nonprofit, right? So I don't think I set out and said, I want to be in nonprofits. I said, where can I embed my skill set and my expertise and dedicate? I'm, I'm a very intense person when it comes to work. So I'm like, where can I like spend so many hours and so much intensity just killing it and knowing that it's going to lead to something positive and that I will feel good about that effort that I put in. So um, it was more like also this, like just like awareness of my own energy, right? It's like, um, I want to stop spinning my wheels and, you know, killing myself over um, something that I don't care about. Right, right. Uh, most people never get to that point. Um, what I find is interesting is my friends who are in corporate America um, that have been successful and climbed the ladder and everything, they're now getting to that point where they're like, I want to do something that makes a difference, you know, um, you found it at a younger age and that's, and that's amazing. Um, I, I don't know if, um, it is sort of equality the, the, do you have a personal purpose? Let me ask that. Do you have a statement that you use that defines your purpose? Yeah, I, I think um, I kind of touched on it in different forms earlier, but it's really just about I want to remove barriers that exist between people's goals and, um, you know, where they are at that moment. Mm -hmm. And so anything to remove barriers is where I'm at. I love that. Um, that's the great title of a book, by the way. Oh, good, good. Let me, let me take notes. <laughs> <laughs> Removing barriers. I'm yeah. sure there's, there's, you have not written a book yet, have you? I have not. I'm sure it's on your list somewhere, isn't it? Someday soon. Who knows? Yeah. Um, Gotta find time for that thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so let me ask you this. I, I, I think I'm naive, um, when I, when I, in my viewpoint on, um, why leaders should, uh, should understand that diversity, inclusion, um, equality, these should be things that they're doing um, because they're the right things to do. Um, I know a part of what you guys do with your businesses is proving, which the, the facts are there, but you're scientifically proving that your business will be stronger, your product will be better. Like literally everything is better when you do that. Um, am I being naive and hoping that, that leaders can just think that that's the right thing to do and do it for that reason? 
it's not naive, it's hopeful, but um, it's just proven not to be the case. Yeah, um, <laughs> right. You know, it's like they, they've long known, they being, you know, business leaders, world leaders, you know, um, have long seen the research um, around the fact that greater diversity, greater inclusion can lead to all these positive outcomes. And we can list, you know, it's, you know, whether it's business performance related or employee satisfaction related um, or revenue, you know, it's, it's like all these different metrics, right? Um, we can increase innovation. We can increase productivity. It's like, there's a, there's a study for every KPI that a business leader is thinking of or prioritizing. Um, those have been there and that hasn't driven behavior change. And so what we're trying to do um, to your point is just say, great, now that we have your ear and you have that like hunch that like, oh, this is something we should maybe probably be doing something about, um, let us show you exactly what that means, how to do that in a meaningful way. Because on the other side of it, you also have a long list of organizations that have um, made that commitment, that verbal um, statement that says, yes, we're going to prioritize that, maybe throw in a little bit of money at it, maybe put somebody in the position of like, hey, this is our head of DNI going forward or establish key goals. But the reality is that if you don't understand what your company needs, if you don't understand, if you're not tracking, you know, the progress against those goals, um, if you're not listening to your employees, those initiatives are likely going to fail. And then you're going to say, hey, you know, DNI was this thing, we tried it, moving on, you know, um, and we are trying to move away from giving people the opportunity to do checkbox and, um, exercises or like performative DNI work and trying to make sure that they are clear on what it means to increase diversity and inclusion in their company. Interesting. And and my guess would be that the um, part of the problem or part of the challenge you may find is that um, these things certainly pay off in the long term, um, maybe not in the immediate short term, but so many goals and initiatives are and, and leaders are judged and, and measured by the short term results. And so this idea of taking the time to to create the right criteria, to find the right candidate, to really do the due diligence there versus I know this person. Yes, he's a white man, but he's he's the guy. I got to get him in because we need this done. Is that one of the biggest challenges is getting companies and leaders to to place the bet for the longer term and not expect in six months, everything's going to be amazing? It is is definitely a challenge. Um, however, um, when we're coming into organizations, we're trying, we're, we're basically Right, uh, right away, our goal is to change the way that the business leader and the champions think about diversity and inclusion, but more importantly, what they do about it, right? So we're coming in and like the very first thing we're doing is we're shifting how they think about it completely mm -hmm. so that they stop thinking in that, that way. Um, certainly, um, there is a, a challenge with showing results more um, quickly. Uh, however, we've um, built a framework to avoid that. So, um, you know, not to get too salesy here, but like uh, we essentially measure inclusion and we've created a framework Whereas like by listening to your employees and um, understanding their day-to-day -day experiences, we can on a more frequent basis measure progress on inclusion. So we can say, hey, last month, here's where the problems with our inclusion existed. This month, here's how we're looking. It's a little bit better in this category. It's a little worse in this category. It's a little better for this group. It's a little worse for this group. And so you can literally shift how you're uh, investing your resources on the DNI side uh, so that you're targeting very specific experiences of your employees, rather than saying these big initiatives where it's like, oh, we are investing in women leadership, and we don't actually know what that means, um, or how that, you know, takes shape in our organization. So, you know, instead, we may say things like, hey, last month, there were a lot of experiences that made people feel excluded in meetings, let's just like create some inclusive meeting policies, so that going forward, we avoid that. Very, oh, clear, very clean, um, very possible, and yeah, um, immediate impacts. You're evaluating literally internal meetings. 
We're, um, we're evaluating day-to-day experiences. And so, yeah. it, you know, what happens to an employee, um, if I can take a step back really quickly, just for, for like context around like how we see inclusion, um, we believe that inclusion is invisible, particularly to those who enjoy it the most. And so what that means is if you are, you know, stereotypical white guy, you know, um, leading an organization, you may not have a sense of what exclusion looks like within your organization. So then we apply on top of that um, a framework to help you uncover those experiences of exclusion. And we do it similar to um, like an analogy that, that's often helpful um, it relates to health. So like when you go to the doctor, um, you're not going to just like walk in and the doctor's not going to just like say, here's the solution, go do this, right? They're going to need to like get that form with all the little check boxes that says, what are the symptoms you're experiencing? What illnesses have you faced in the past? Tell me everything about your environment. They're going to want to get all those details so that they can understand how to specifically treat what you're experiencing. So we're doing the exact same thing. We're saying, what are all the experiences of exclusion you're facing on a day-to-day basis? What is the source of those experiences of exclusion? And then we're coming up with a treatment plan um, for the organization based on that information. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, and I and it, I love the the fact that you have the sort of data and science part of the organization. I can see that 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 comes to play. Yeah. Um, can you talk at just a high level? What? How do you define the difference of um, diversity versus inclusion? Those words. Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, so diversity to us, and this is not like a textbook definition, but in terms of how we apply it in our work, is really representation metrics. It's those like identifiers that. Um, we can relate to individuals. Whereas inclusion, we think of as the act of ensuring that individuals aren't made to feel as if they're treated differently as a result of those characteristics that are like represented by diversity. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so would it be fair to say you, you can't truly be a, an inclusive organization unless you're a diverse organization, but but you could be the opposite. You could be a diverse organization, yet still not be truly being inclusive. Technically, both are true. So you could have an inclusive organization um, that lacks diversity, and you could have a diverse organization that lacks inclusion. Um, does that mean that you have room for improvement in both? Absolutely. Um, what we believe is that um, inclusion leads to greater business performance, but inclusion also leads to greater diversity because with an inclusive work environment, you're able to actually attract, retain, and um, support those diverse um, individuals on your team, diverse individuals. We'd never flag individuals as diverse. That's not not what I meant. But like, right. you're able to support those individuals that you're bringing into your organization. Got it. Okay. Um, so talk to me about the like, five years from now, um, you know, what do you hope the company is achieving? What kind of impact or effect are you hoping to be making? Yeah. So I think it's, um, we're moving forward on two fronts, right? Um, One is just this idea of making sure that instead of seeing diversity and inclusion as this like small um, function under HR, you know, this initiative that helps culture or this initiative that helps recruiting, we want organizations, business leaders to now see diversity and inclusion as a lens of which they're analyzing every single aspect of their organization, whether it's, you know, recruiting, whether it's, you know, the culture development, uh, whether it's, um, you know, their sales processes, uh, we need them to analyze every policy practice, um, 
everything that exists within the organization with that diversity and inclusion lens and see that um, by optimizing, you then create opportunity, right? Um, but on the other side of things, you know, more tactically speaking in terms of like, what do we look like as an organization in five years? You know, we over the last two years have been, you know, building, testing, iterating this framework and this, this process in which we're able to come into organizations, measure inclusion and pinpoint exactly where they should focus to like drive change in their company. Right. Um, and we've moved to be more and more tech enabled. So in five years, you're likely looking at us having just this phenomenally beautiful SaaS product that comes into organizations as a platform um, that allows them to track inclusion on an ongoing basis and allows them to track their progress against those goals um, without, you know, us kind of holding their hand the whole way. I love that. Yeah. I love that. There was, um, were you involved when you were in Atlanta? Were you involved in Techstars at all? I wasn't. Um, but I mean, certainly we're connected with that community. Um, on the nonprofit side, we do a lot of partnership uh, in terms of like DNI workshops and such. Yeah, I gotcha. Because there, there was, and I'm, I'm sure you're in the space, so you're seeing any sort of tech startup that pops up that focuses on this. I remember a few years back, there was one that would um, be monitoring email, Slack, all these things and looking for, I guess, trigger words for, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I think that stuff's just fascinating. It's phenomenal. And, you know, I think, um, one interesting thing about the work that we do is, you know, there, there is no one size fits all solution to diversity and inclusion work. The reality is that, you know, there are 70, I'm guessing 70, I have no idea. There are so many different ways that you could move forward um, and make a, you know, a change within your organization in that regards. So oftentimes what happens is after our inclusion assessments, after we pinpoint where they should focus, we are partnering with organizations like that to say, here is a phenomenal solution. Here is a phenomenal partner. Here is um, an expert trainer that can help you really, you know, focus and drive difference um, there because we aren't, we aren't that expert. You know, we're good at what we do. Um, We're good at this, you know, data um, measuring inclusion, like very specific niche, uh, which we think is, you know, unique and and phenomenally powerful, but it requires all of us to really get uh, where we need to be. Yeah. Okay. So on that note, I have a couple of, of questions. Um, I know, I know it's going to be different for each organization. Um, but if a organization is of a certain size, should they have some sort of DNI leader? And, and again, I, yeah, over 50% of the time, should they, or I know there's not a rule. They should. I mean, they should, right. So it would benefit them if they do have that leader. I will say with, you know, the, the disclaimer that, um, I think it was um, Russell Reynolds that did a, a research, uh, did some research maybe a year and a half ago or so. Um, they were looking at companies on the S&P 500 and essentially asking the um, diversity and inclusion leaders that exist within the S&P 500, like, you know, one, how many companies have one? And then if you have a diversity and inclusion lead, you know, do they have the information, the resources, you know, the data just starting a data, much less, you know, we're not talking about like the financial like contributions to the work, but like just the data you needed to be able to drive that work. And it was less than 35% of the diversity and inclusion leads that exist within these organizations even had the information, like the right. employee data they needed to actually make a difference. And so um, what we're seeing is like that position can be created, but oftentimes it's created as um it's performative, right? It's like, it's created as like an indication to the world that they care about it. But unless you properly resource those individuals, unless you give them the data, the power to drive change, the financial support that they need to actually create um, greater inclusion and diversity within the organization, um, then it's meaningless. So like, if you're going to create the position, that's one thing, but like only create the position if you're truly committed to supporting that individual in the work. 
Totally. Yeah. The, the way that manifests itself in, in sort of my world of digital marketing is that someone becomes uh, the chief digital or chief innovation officer, but they're given no budget and no real team or anything. So it's more of a token yeah. title. So on that note, though, again, by and large, who should that person report to? Should it be the CEO? Should it be HR? Who, who should they report to? to be yeah, and that takes shape depending on the size of the company, again, because there's different hierarchies and organizations. But the reality is that the CEO should care about the work, be aware of it, and should be driving it. So, you know, the conversations that he or she is having uh, with the organization should be clear that, like, he's aware of that work, that he's supporting it, that he or she um, is driving it, that they are changing their own behavior, Um and so it, it has to, it has to come from the top, no matter what the, the reporting structure is. Um, and I think that, you know, there's also many times where if you don't have a diversity and inclusion director or officer, a committee can work really well. Um, so like having a DNI committee can work similarly, as long as they're compensated for that additional work, um, that it's not, you know, c- counting against them. Like if they're, you know, in sales and, you know, okay, they didn't hit their sales goal, but like, you know, they're spending 20 hours a week on this, you know, committee now, like that has to be taken into account. A lot of times what happens is, you know, you'll see ERG leads or DNI committee um, members um, take on that work because they're passionate about the change and they want to see the shift within the organization, but then it's actually, um, causing them to have, you know, it's, it's interfering with their uh, potential, sorry, their potential um, performance reviews or, you know, whatever right. it might be, their perception within the organization in terms of like their, them caring about their job. And so um, this is a random tangent, I guess, but like, you know, it's, it's just, it's the fact that like there are different ways to um, organize around diversity and inclusion in your organization. But what matters is that the work is supported, that it's valued um, and that, um you know, the, the individuals at the top, however that looks, um, are, are committed to the work. Yeah, agreed. Right. So reporting doesn't matter quite as much, but that commitment has to be across the board leadership. It does. Um, yeah. All right. So I want to, um, let me ask you before I transition to a different topic, um, is there how, what's the best way for people to follow the work that you're doing today? Yeah, you can check us out at alaria.tech. It's A-L-E-R-I-A.tech. Um, we put out a weekly newsletter every Tuesday that really looks at this industry for, through our lens. That's a phenomenal way to get started. We also have resources like an ebook on how and why we measure inclusion and various resources on our website. So definitely start there. Yeah, awesome. And I can say there's f- fantastic um, uh, content, but there's also, uh, was I seeing there's talks coming up and... and um, events that you guys are hosting. Uh, yeah. Some really interesting ones coming up. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So on the nonprofit side, particularly, we um, have a number of webinars that focus on things like how you can leverage diversity and inclusion to increase your recruiting processes or um, how you can create a better startup through diversity and inclusion and all these different things that are really looking at how, how to drive um, success at your organization by leveraging diversity and inclusion. And so those webinars can actually be accessed um, at alariaresearch.org. Awesome. Yeah, I'll put the notes to that uh, so people can go find it out. Thank you. Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. I didn't think people did that anymore. Well, since I still have you, I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That way you'll be alerted as soon as I post my next one. And second, I'd love for you to subscribe to my email newsletter. I send out an email every week or two, and it's really where I share my more personal thoughts and ideas 
Plus, I give stuff away sometimes. You can find the sign up at my blog, jeffhillemeyer.com, and I really do appreciate you listening. <laughs>